thank you for joining us at Forward Church. This is going to be message number two in our Repent and Believe the Gospel series. We are calling this message, um, Fear God, but Don't Be Afraid of Him. I hope that you are enjoying reading through the Gospel of Peace, the book by Dr. Jim Richards. If you're part of our Facebook group here at the church, um, you'll see that we're making a daily post per chapter. There's 24 chapters. So, you know, there's time to stay caught up. The chapters are short, three or four pages uh, per chapter. And in our group, we're just having good comments. People are posting their insights about what stands out to them about the love of God, about the cross of Christ, about God wanting us in His family. Some of these are some of the topics that we've addressed so far in the book, and we'll continue as we go. Uh, we're also going to be meeting on Wednesdays here to discuss the book, so bring your book with you. And... Yesterday at church, um, we had a, a great presentation from the Kretzu family, Josh and Cassidy Kretzu, and, and we decided to push this message from yesterday to today, but, you know, that's an amazing thing about technology is we can still continue to, to bring sermons and, con you know, church is community. Church is gathering, and, and I pray that in our churches, that we're getting good teaching, we're having good fellowship, good discipleship, all of that stuff. But, you know, I, I, I am the kind of pastor where if I don't preach, it's fine. You know, church is going to happen. We're going to be there. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to love on one another. We're going to hear something encouraging. We're going to worship. The word will be shared. You know, I see my role as more of a facilitator, and I do teach quite a bit, but, you know, that's part of God putting us in a role to function and operate within a church. So, you know, it's fun for me sometimes to just show up and see what's happening or, you know, maybe we'll have somebody else preach. But yesterday we got to hear about what the Kretsus were doing and I'm excited about. We'll miss them moving all the way over to Thailand. Uh, and if you missed that, if you didn't see that, go back to our YouTube channel, which we are back to streaming live on YouTube again, by the way. We had a little bit of problem with our computer, but that's been, since been fixed. Our team got that worked out. Courtney and, and John, appreciate them working on that. So let's go ahead and jump in here to, you know, the series that we're working on here is called Repent and Believe the Gospel. And the word repent means change the way that you think. You know, when Jesus showed up and started preaching and when he was baptized and anointed by the Holy Spirit to step into his ministry, uh, that was what he preached, repent and believe the gospel. The word repent means change the way that you're thinking, change your mind. Yes, it does include turning away from sin, but you can repent from lots of things. Uh, you know, how you think affects your choices and affects how you feel and ultimately will affect what you do externally. It begins in your heart with a belief, affects your mind and how you think, and then your actions come out of that. So repenting is not just about stopping sin in your life. Repentance is about disrupting the thought patterns and the beliefs of the heart that drive the behaviors of sin, but also thinking about God in general. So when Jesus said repent and believe the gospel, he was saying, you're going to have to change the way that you think because I have some good news for you. You know, the Israelites who God chose, they were the elect, they were the chosen ones through which God revealed Himself in this earth, gave us the original covenant, the law through, you know, Abraham and Moses and transitioned into the Levitical priesthood and then, um, 
you know, all the way up to what it had become in the day of Jesus. And he railed against a lot of those guys who were misusing what God genuinely had given them for good. For good, They were using it for evil. And he says, repent. You're going to have to change the way that you think because I am taking you out of the old covenant. I'm taking you out of the former covenant and I will be establishing a new covenant. That covenant that that uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah all prophesied, the covenant that's rooted around the idea of having a new heart, being made a new creation, His laws being written within you instead of externally on stone. God's laws now are a part of your nature guiding you rather than you having to look externally, read a law, and obey in your heart not really be involved with it. As we know, Jesus raised it to the level of the heart. He changed the whole game. So I see Jesus showing up and saying, you guys are going to have to change the way that you think. And you see this over and over and over and over and over. They would come to him, where's your kingdom? You know, Because they, they were looking for a conquering king, they being the Israelites, were looking for a conquering king. First off, they thought it was, the Messiah was just going to be for them. That was a huge problem that it was for Gentiles also, for the whole world. That was one area where they needed to repent and believe the gospel because it was no longer a covenant just for a select group of people. It was for whosoever will believe. So they had to repent and believe the good news that everybody can be saved. Then they had to repent and believe that uh, the kingdom is within you. You're not looking externally for something to come in and conquer and overthrow the Romans and set up this new rule of which the Israelites get to be kings and priests over all the world. So repenting and believing the gospel is not just about if you know the, the, the revival mentality of if the world would repent and turn to God, then God would send healing. It's like, no, that's first off, that's an old covenant prayer. God has sent healing in the form of Jesus. So now we repent, put on our new man in our thinking, inwardly in our spirit, we've already been made to look exactly like him. So the gospel is really about putting on the new man and believing the good news change in the way that you think, and believe the good news. So we spend most of our time telling you what that good news of that kingdom is so that you will believe it, fulfilling that, that mandate of Jesus in the beginning, change the way you think, and believe the gospel. So last week, the first message that we got into was mindsets. <clears throat> we started talking about the idea of mindsets and how we all filter what we believe and how we see God through how we think, you know. No one, I dare say, no one looks plainly at Scripture. Jesus confronted the Pharisees and he said this. He said, what does the Scripture say and how do you read it? That's true for all of us. We all have methodologies, structures, systems, circumstances. We all have filters, experiences, things we've been taught, beliefs that all get in the way of us plainly looking at Scripture. And I think that that's what looking at the finished work of Jesus does, is it helps us strip away all of these mindsets that are in these preconceptions that we have when we come to the Word so that we can see it plainly. And by it, I really just mean God. <clears throat> you know, I say this, and of course there'll be people that misunderstand this, but, you know, imagine, forget about the Bible for a minute, and just look at God. Who is He? Who is Jesus? Because that's what we're really after, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. To know Him is eternal life. 
all of, and Jesus even said it. He said, you search the scripture, but it points to me. You know, if when you read scripture, it's not pointing to Jesus. If there's all of this stuff that you got to work through, all this built up system on top of it, then you get to Jesus. It's like, no, start with Jesus and then look toward the scripture and it must match who Jesus showed us God to be. Plain and simple. So dealing with mindsets, you know, the passage we looked at last week is, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's the first part of uh, Proverbs 23.7. We defined mindset. A mindset is a fixed mental attitude or disposition that predetermines a person's responses to and interpretations of situations. That's what we do. We bring to the Word our mindsets, and some of them are more ingrained than others. So then we looked at, I looked at several mindsets in psychology, but I, I labeled a few that I see within Christianity, one of them being the God's in control mindset. Everything happens for a reason. Everything's part of His plan. God's causing it. Well, He's not causing it, but He's allowing it. Well, He's not really allowing it, but He's not doing anything about it. He could, but He's not. You know, all these ideas, God's in control. And now, there's a, there's a confusion about the word sovereignty. God is absolutely sovereign, and sovereign means this, authority. God is the highest authority. There is no one more powerful. There is no creature, entity, being. There is no other God. He is it. He is the highest authority. He is our sovereign. The king, of over, the king over a nation is the sovereign. God is the king over us. God is the king of kings. He's the, the great I am. There's no one higher. The question is not whether he's sovereign. The question is, how is he exercising his sovereignty right now? You either have the perspective that he's, he's predetermined everything, even who will be saved or not saved, and you don't even really know if you're saved or not. That's one view of how people think he's exercising that sovereignty. Some people think, well, you know, uh, I prayed and I got healed, but my mom prayed and she didn't get healed. God, in his sovereignty, he had mercy on me to heal me, but he didn't heal her. And I won't really know why until I get there and his full plan is revealed. People think that way. People think, I got a flat tire on the way to work today. Since God's in control, I'm not sure why God allowed that to happen. Maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I said something wrong. Maybe I didn't do enough Christianity today and therefore God allowed me to have a flat tire. I mean, you know, you, you laugh, but, but people believe that. I had someone tell me that this is one of the hardest, and I'm not, you know, when I quote people that have said these things, I love this person that said this. This person is on a journey and I'm seeing great transformation from this person and they've come a long way and they are an incredible person. But they said to me, this is one of the hardest things about your teaching that I have come across. It scares me to death if God's not in control, they said. Well, you know what? It scares me to death if God's in control because look at the state of the world. Now, that's not to say that He's not sovereign. That's not to say that He's somehow fretting about the fact that He's losing control over the planet. It's just saying, you know, you're not... Any healthy parent does not control their children's life. They, they teach them, they train them, they correct them, and then they launch that child out. And they stay involved in their lives and help them and walk with them and give them wisdom, but that child suffers its own consequences or reaps its own reward. God's the same way. He gave us this planet 
mankind has dominion over this planet right now, and he has given us free will, and then some people segment God's free will, you know, provincial and provenial and all these different things. That's Calvinistic systematic reform theology. I don't buy into that stuff. That stuff says that God's determined ahead of time who will even be saved. And you don't even know if you're going to be saved or not. God's choosing and picking what, who gets what promise. No. God's a good Father that has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, that uh, we can have whatever we believe for, he says, you know. And then he says, believe that you have received and it will be yours. It's a paradox. You know, it's offensive. But either God's withholding from us for some mystical reason or we're having trouble receiving. This is a mindset that people carry and it's, and it's got a lot of seemingly good theology built upon it because what we do is we make theology and adopt beliefs based on our circumstances. Well, there I did this, I prayed this, this didn't happen, yet I learned this, therefore God left it in my life because of this. You develop a belief based on that pattern that is a circumstantial theology. You have developed a theology. You've developed a system of belief based on an outcome from this world that has backed its way into God's spiritual will. You have to start with who He is. The Scripture points to Him. Paul said that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. The more we know Him, the more we can properly interpret and read Scripture. I, I had to get I have to get in there. It's it's just so it's so you know, as we're going through and we're laying this foundation of the gospel. It's hard to change your mind and change the way that you think about some of these topics because we've held these beliefs for so very long. What I'm presenting to you is that you filter everything through the finished work of Jesus and go from there. Let me go a little bit further. One of those mindsets was the doom and gloom mindset. The world's getting darker. The end is near. The wicked are in control and prospering. It's Vanity, vanity, everything's vanity. I might as well not even try. I'm going to crawl away and stop, pile some food and put some water away. And the rapture's going to be here any minute now. And I'm going to stay up on the mountain. And I'm going to use that. I'm going to use the state of the world as an excuse to not come down off the mountain and live a life of productivity and maturity. I know that's a little cryptic, but it might mean something to somebody. Lost world mentality. Ah, you know. Uh, we just have to endure. We're all sinners. Judgment's coming. This world's broken. There's no hope here. Lost world. But then there's also this, the victorious mindset, where Jesus has defeated the enemy. Jesus has given us the victory. He's currently ruling and reigning through us, you know. Uh, the series we did right before the one we're doing right now um, called He Shall Reign, I did a few messages in there about the wheat and the tares and addressing that mindset. The wheat is growing and the tares are growing. Jesus gave a parable about the end times, and he said there's wheat and there's tares, or weeds. The wheat's growing, the weeds are growing. His disciples said, well, what about the weeds here? Should we go attack the weeds? Isn't your word good? Isn't your seed good? Why are there weeds here? And he said, well, there's both. Let them both grow up together. God's going to take care of the weeds. I mean, go back and read that parable of the wheat and the tares. God will take care of the weeds. God will nurture the wheat, and the wheat will grow and thrive and become strong, and the weeds will shrivel and die away. Don't, in your pursuit of looking at the world, neglect the wheat. Have a victorious mindset. Have a finished work mindset. Now, that doesn't mean 
Everything's going to always work out for you. Jesus said we're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation in this world. The world is broken. Sin is producing death in our lives. We've been delivered from messianic judgment from sin, but in this world, sin is still producing death in our bodies. Our bodies are going to die. You don't have to be sick and die, but they're going to give up the ghost one day. All right, so got a couple of passages or a couple of statements here. Um, in biblical studies, we apply a host of principles and methods to evaluate Scripture and come to conclusions. For example, in light of these passages and in light of this circumstance in my life, I conclude this based on this. So let me go a little bit further into that. In light of these passages, so this is how we build our beliefs. This is the process. This is, this is ultimately what we call hermeneutics in biblical studies. In light of these passages, so if I want to study the topic of uh, soteria, salvation, or Christology, who Jesus is, or atonement, or even back down into the gifts, how church is supposed, orthodox, how church is supposed to be structured, what the new covenant is and what is within the new covenant. All these, all these areas of doctrine and theology, we have ways to sort through Scripture to come to conclusions, to come to beliefs. Now, everybody thinks their way is the right way, but we know one thing, Jesus is the right way. And how He says and what He does and what He displays is the right way. Jesus, I heard one preacher say, Jesus is perfect theology, and He just is. So, for example, in light of these passages, I conclude God's, so let's say healing. I'm just, this is a topic that I've, I've chatted lately about, and it's an interesting one. In light of these passages, so let me look at these, let me look at these areas where Jesus encountered this, and Jesus did this, and we saw this person say this, and this happened. So in light of all this subject matter in Scripture, in light of these passages, I conclude God sometimes doesn't heal, and He doesn't sometimes heal for this reason because they need to learn this lesson, or maybe it's just sometimes not His will. So then, And then also, we mix in a little bit of life's experiences. So I've got these passages. I've got what I think is happening that Jesus is doing. Then this is happening in this world that I observe and I see. So I'm going to mix all that together, and I'm going to come to the conclusion sometimes God doesn't want to heal. And I can now, okay, so now I've come to that conclusion. Now I'm going to back myself all the way through the rest of Scripture. And as I read, I will defend that position. I will defend the conclusion that I came to because I've got emotion associated with it now. I feel like I'm right. I feel like I've got proof for it. So therefore, as I read, I'm going to see what I already believe. Now, your brain is actually wired to help you have that narrow view. I personally, so we've got a bundle of nerves back here in the back of our brain, top of your spinal cord, called the reticular activating system. And it's to help you focus and refine your view. So like when you, and, and this is proven in, in brain studies, when you, when you focus on something, and this is, this is a funny one. Have you, ever, have you ever watched the video where it's a trick on your eyes and it says, Pay attention to the basketball. And you've got, there's about six or eight people standing in kind of a loose circle and they're passing the basketball back and forth. One of them starts to dribble and move it around and one of them kind of twirl. So you're watching the basketball 
And then at the end of the video, it says, did you notice the monkey? And you're like, monkey, what are you talking about? And then, it, and then you go back and you watch it again. And sure enough, the exact video that you just watched, there's a dude in a monkey suit that comes out and walks through the middle of the people and then walks off the screen. Have you ever seen that one? I got Courtney back here. You ever seen that, Courtney? <laughs> Some of y'all probably seen that. You know what I've got? I don't normally get to do this. I've got a few people here on my phone that I'm looking at. I'll say hello to you in a minute, but... So the, that, the reticular activating system does that. It narrows down your focus so that you see, you're seeing that basketball. You don't even see that monkey. So we adopt beliefs based on information and emotion. We get the information of Scripture. Obviously, people, we agree that that's the truth. And then we have the emotion associated with the decision or conclusion that we've come to. We have all the reinforcement for it. You know, it's difficult to watch somebody suffer in your life. I watched my mom suffer for over a year with cancer. And I prayed for her, I don't know how many times, but I don't believe for a second that God wanted that for her. He died so she didn't have to experience that. And it's, it's, and, and it's not dishonoring to my mother to say this, but she had trouble receiving healing, even though Jesus died for her to have it. I, I've got this shoulder thing. I wrecked my shoulder in uh, college on a mountain biking thing. Sometimes it gives me a little bit of hard time. Some, I feel like sometimes I've been healed from it. Sometimes there's pain from it. Uh, but it's like, do I, does that mean that God... So, so here's an interesting question. Does that mean God healed it, but then sometimes he takes the healing away? Oh, I'm going to take your healing away for a little while. You're going to feel a little bit of pain for a little while. So here's another way. So... That's the one that says he doesn't. There's another one here. In light of these healing passages, in light of these particular passages, I conclude God always desires healing based on what Jesus accomplished in his blood, regardless of my experiences. That's another hermeneutic. That's another method. That's another process to come to conclusions and evaluate Scripture. May I present to you this idea that Jesus is our hermeneutic. Jesus is our process of understanding. Jesus is our integral, non-negotiable when we are studying the Bible to come to conclusions. We know that the Word is truth. Whether we understand it or perceive it or not, it's true. And it doesn't change. And God is eternal. But we have trouble understanding it sometimes. I, I want to I help. See, because people, people encounter this finished work message, this faith righteousness message, this delivered from condemnation message, and, and you're a new creature, you're righteous before God, a lot of these things that we talk about. People, people have struggled with those because of what they've been taught, because honestly, because of what they've been taught, what they've experienced, how they read the Bible. I'm convinced that if people will make Jesus their hermeneutic, if people will make Jesus get to know Him more than anything through His Word and His Spirit, and then look, look at Scripture through the eyes of Jesus while He's up there on that cross dying for you, saying, forgive them, Lord, they don't know what they're doing. Are you kidding me? He's dying on that cross to deliver us from sin and death. And he says, forgive them, Lord. <laughs> That's your hermeneutic. 
the woman caught in adultery, drugged to his feet, should be stoned under the law. And he says, all right, fine. Those of you that don't have any sin, go first. That's what the law says. Go ahead. Now, I myself am sinless. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to have mercy on her. And then he does say, go and sin no more. He forgives the man on the cross that recognizes who he is right then and there. Jesus, that, those are the kinds of things where you develop an understanding of who God is. You know that he's motivated by love toward you, toward you for God so loved the world that he gave his son so that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. That's your hermeneutic. That's who Jesus is. When you're looking at difficult areas in Scripture, who is Jesus? Now let me try to evaluate this. I might need to repent and believe the gospel. We come up with these things, circumstantial theologies. Circumstantial theology is when we interpret Scripture and make assumptions about God's will based on our personal experiences. So I try to apply a finished work hermeneutic, which is based on the righteous state of the believer after the resurrection of Jesus. I've got a slide here. Let me just go ahead and put this up. I'll read it to you. I'll start over. I try to apply a finished work hermeneutic which is based on the righteous state of the believer after the resurrection of Jesus. So, these, so, th so now these are the anchor points that I use to interpret Scripture and to understand God. There's a bunch of them, but these are some of the main ones. So when I'm reading and I'm trying to understand, it's like, okay, I, I know this, I know this, I know this, and I, in light of this, this, this is true, this is true, this is true. In light of this, see, what, what this does is this keeps you from having to inject your own conclusions. You're kind of removing yourself out of the way, and this is what you want to do. You want to repent and get yourself out of the way and believe what the Word of God says. Believe, you believe the plain and simple truth rather than all the junk that you bring to it. And, and, and so when I read it, I'm remembering these things. So let me go back to this. I apply a finished work hermeneutic, which, which is based on the righteous state of the believer after the resurrection of Jesus. Heaven is within. We're forgiven. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's not holding our trespasses against us. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. We're delivered from the curse of the law. His blood has made us holy. We're seated with Him in heavenly authority. In heaven, we're seated with Him in authority in heaven above all names. We are joint heirs with Him. We have His grace working in us. You know, others, He's pouring out His love into our hearts so that Christ would dwell in our hearts so that we would know the depth and breadth and width and height of His love to bring us to a place of wholeness and we'd be filled to the measure of His fullness, that He is supplying all of my needs out of His riches and glory, that above all things He wishes that I may prosper and be in health even as soul. Well, it sounds like you're just cherry-picking the good news, Clint. Well, you know, we're supposed to repent and believe the gospel. <laughs> repent and believe the good news. It doesn't mean that I somehow magically think everybody's going to be saved and everything's just all of a sudden going to be magic for everybody and roses and duckies and rainbows for life for now on and hitherto forevermore. 
You know, it's not that at all. It's just that as I am seeking to follow Jesus and as I am seeking to understand who God is and follow Him and treat people accordingly, I am going to look at the things that Jesus accomplished in His finished work. I'm going to look at Jesus where He is now. You know, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm looking at Him now to determine what He wants for me and the world around me. And all of these things are factors, and you can't forget those things. Those are realities. Yes, of course, there's a resurrection and a final judgment. Yes, of course, there's persecution for righteousness' sake. You go out and you preach the word. You live godly. You're probably going to be persecuted. God's not going to bring suffering in, the in your life in the form of, you know, poverty is not a virtue. You being abundantly blessed and Blessing people around you. Generosity is a virtue. I feel a little bit fired up here. So, let's keep going. Jesus is our hermeneutic. We must, we must base everything we believe about God on Jesus. Even the old covenant stuff. You know, people are like, well, to me the big one is the flood. God killed everybody. Judgment. Truth. Preserved just one family for, the, for his seed to continue and, and almost didn't even do that. You know, so yes, there's judgment. But what you have to do now in light of those actions and that character attribute of God is... How, so God is sovereign. He has the ability to judge and do anything he wants whenever he wants. So in light of judgment, in light of uh, executing punishment on sin, how do I look at that now? Okay, well, thankfully I have Jesus. I go to the cross. I look at the cross, and I understand what happened on the cross. We have the model of the old covenant, the Levitical priesthood with the two goats and the, the Yom Kippur and all the different sacrifices and feasts that give us character and in, or give us insight and, and understanding and how God sees how to handle those matters. And then we see the, all of that stuff pointed to Jesus, the real thing. And in Him we see the Isaiah, Isaiah 53 exchange. You know, the 2 Corinthians 5 exchange. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We are new creatures in Him. He is not holding our trespasses against us any longer. You know, and, and I say this all the time, but when I preach, I want to preach to your spiritual identity. I want to preach to who you are, that part of you that's seated in heaven. Because if, you, if I can get you thinking, and me, from that mindset, from that heart, I will act accordingly. Of course we need to deal with sin. Of course we need to deal with all the carnal and physical things that we're involved with in this life. But you're only going to do so when you really know who you are in light of what Jesus has done in you and through you. You know, I think the chapter that we're on today for the Gospel of Peace is about the cross. You know, man, the cross. My pastor, when I first um, got, you know, I got saved, didn't go to church for about four or five years, just read the Bible on my own, probably the best thing I could have ever done, but ended up in a church, a guy that my mom knew, Pastor David Michael, up in Atlanta, and we've stayed connected with their family, great family. Craig, Craig and Libby have taken over that church now. Um, they, it's Faith Cornerstone Church. If you're on the north side of Atlanta, great church. 
but he preached on the cross every day for five years, every Sunday for five years. And I loved it. It never got old to me because it meant something to me because I'd had a personal experience of being delivered from death and hell. And when he would preach the cross over and over and over, it just reinforced within me, yes, this is who God is. This is how he feels about me. This is how I'm to think when I face everything. I remember the cross, even communion. Remember the body and the blood, what he did. It's everything to us. For God so loved, it's his motivation toward us. I quoted it, but let me read it here. John 3, 16, 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Man, that's good news. Now, will some not be saved? Yeah, and what a sad day that's going to be. Are some going to perish? Yes, and what a sad day that's going to be. You know, I posted something about you don't have to be afraid of God, and, and a friend commented on there, and, and um, you know, I like the way that he did it because he probably knew what I was going to say and was just setting up a good, a good news answer rather than, uh, you know, challenging. I don't mind being challenged. It's fine, but I don't think that's what this guy was doing. I think he was kind of agreeing and continuing the conversation, but he said, well, what about those that will perish? I mean, essentially is what he's asked. What about those that will perish? Should they be afraid of him? Because it says, fear him who's able to destroy your soul in hell. Well, I'm about to give you a definition of what fear really is in light of Jesus. Remember, he's our hermeneutic. We filter everything through him. But even in that day, even in the, the last trumpet blows and whatever happens between now and then, uh, everyone's resurrected. We go before the, the Father. Believers go before the judgment seat of Christ for rewards. And ultimately, we enter into our, our eternal reward. And at the great white throne judgment, which everyone is at, God says to those who will perish and be cast into the lake of fire, you know, whatever he says to them and, and, and their cat. You know, even in that day, that's, that, is, that will not be, God will not be motivated by anger or hate or judgment or punishment in that day. He will be motivated by righteousness. In other words, he will look at you and see that you have not received the love that he has for you through His Son, and you will be put into darkness and cannot coexist with Him because you've not let Him change you and transform you into a being that can coexist with Him throughout eternity. I don't think that that judge... I think God, if, if I may, will be crying on that day because those who have rejected Him, He has to cut off and they perish. What a sad day that will be. Even in that day, that is not God angrily punishing those people. He already punished all sin. All the judgment for breaking the law was put into Jesus. Jesus absorbed all of it. He became our sin. He was that sin offering, the sacrificial, sacrificial lamb once and for all, for the whole, not just for the believers, for the whole world. 
And I'm quoting scripture here, but I'm not necessarily citing the book and chapter. Go look it up. Jesus was a sin offering for the whole world. But you must receive that free gift. I don't think in that day God's going to be sitting there angry, condemning, judging. I think He's going to be sad that He's got to send those people away that they didn't receive His love. He's a loving Father. It's going to be heartbreaking, I think, in that moment. You know, and I just have to believe that in that moment, it's going to be merciful. For the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. I don't know what that means, but in light of Jesus dying for us, that tells me something about the heart of God. He's not looking, and then he goes on to say, not to condemn the world. God's not interested in condemning the world. The heart of God is to save. But there's something about us that we have to choose and allow him to save us. And some won't. And what a sad day that will be. That's why people like the Kretzus are going all the way halfway around the world to go tell people this good news. God loves us and wants us in his family. So I do have a point here, one of the points in the gospel that I want to address, and that is about the fear of God. Most Most Christians think that we should have a healthy fear of God, but don't understand what fear really means. In healthy relationships, you don't love someone you're afraid of. And you trust people when you know that they love you and have your best interest at heart. So let me walk you through this. Again, part of the thing that we're doing in this series is building a hermeneutic, a systematic theology based on the love of God expressed in Jesus, ultimately the finished work of Jesus. That's what we want to build our theology on. When you're confused about a belief... So one of the things that I want to do with this series is help you become rooted and grounded in your capacity to preach the gospel, to communicate the gospel to people. Not just to get them to say a prayer and become a Christian, you know. Sometimes you're going to plant the seed and that person doesn't become a believer for years or decades even, but you plant the seed. I want to help you have some anchor points in your theology and how you build your hermeneutic of understanding of Scripture, that you're clear on the gospel. So one of them is God loves people, and He wants a family, not an army, not minions, not robots, not people that don't have a free will. He wants children. God is a father. I mean, it almost starts there, and He loves people. He's not this easily offended, angry God that demands justice. I mean, he does demand justice, but it's out of love. So number one, he loves. So then we are to live by faith. We respond to him, you know. We love him because he first... I'm getting ahead of myself. So, so let, me, let me read you this here. This is Galatians 5, 6. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. We have a clue here. We are to follow God by faith. We are to live by faith. We are to walk by faith. We are to trust God. We are to trust that the way that God prescribed to do life, the law, is the best way to live. Not even just the law, 
because Jesus elevated it even higher and He said, I say that if you've even lusted after a woman in your own heart, you're guilty of hellfire. What? I mean, really? That's, but it's the best way to live is to live without lust in your heart sexually toward another person. That's the best way to live. If you live with that stuff in your heart, it's sin, it'll produce death. And that sin produces its own death. It's not God judging you because He already judged that sin in Jesus. Double jeopardy applies. He cannot judge you for it. He already judged Jesus for it. Does that mean you get away with it? No, it doesn't mean you get away with it because in and of itself, it produces its own death. So, but faith works by love. So in other words, to believe God, to obey God is done by faith. To receive anything from God that He has for us is done by faith. Faith pleases God. You know, so we are to live by faith, but faith works by love. So if you're supposed to live by faith, okay, so I'm going to exercise this faith, but how does it work? It works by love. Well, how does love work? Here's how love works. And I posted this, and this is something that we've been looking at, and I even have this passage at the beginning. Uh, Jim Richards has it at the beginning of his book. I have it at the beginning of the little good news booklet that we've sent thousands out. This passage here, 1 John 4, 18 and 19. We need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us eliminates dread, all dread of what he might do to us. If we are afraid, it is for fear of what he might do to us and shows that we are not fully convinced that he really loves us. So you see, our love for him comes as a result of him loving us first. That's how faith works. That's how you look at Jesus and say, I don't deserve it, but I'm going to receive salvation from you. I don't deserve for my sin to be forgiven. I deserve to be judged and punished and cast out, but that's not what I'm going to get because of what Jesus did. Jesus stepped into my place and was judged and punished and condemned to the grave to exhaust the penalty and then overcame the death that should have held him in the grave for being condemned. That's the gospel. I want to say it as clearly as I possibly can. God loves you in the way that you love Him, you know, because you're commanded to love Him. And the, so, but, but we're told here, you love Him because He first loved you. So the whole Christian walk all the way back to the beginning, all the way through to the end is a response to God's love for you. And in that love is packaged incredible benefits. And we're not seeking Him just to get those benefits, but He's the one that defined them. So I want to walk in everything that Jesus died to give me. The good news, the gospel. So in light of fear, let's look at this just for a minute here. Deuteronomy 6.13, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve Him and shalt swear by His name. Now Jesus quoted that passage. Most of you know where I'm going. You know how He quoted it. But here's the point. You don't have to be afraid of God. In fact, back over here it says, if you're afraid of Him, it's, it's for fear of what He might do to you. 
and you're not yet fully convinced that He loves you. If, you, if you're afraid of God, it's because you're not convinced that He loves you. If you're afraid of what He might do to you, it's because you are not yet convinced that He loves you. And when you are convinced that He loves you, that is what causes faith to work, and out of faith you live an obedient lifestyle. Absolutely God wants you to obey, but you have no hope of obeying God without first experiencing His love for you. It's like automatic. Once you know God loves you, you want to live a life pleasing. You want to live a life that honors the holiness and righteousness that you've been given. So don't, you don't have to be afraid of God. You, you don't ever have to be afraid of fear God, but don't be afraid of God. So let's look at this. Deuteronomy 6.13, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. Now how did Jesus say it? Matthew 4.10, Then Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. Where is it written? Jesus says in Matthew 4.10, It is written, It is written in Deuteronomy 6.13, Thou shalt fear. He says in Matthew 4.10, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. Different variation. You shall fear Him and shall swear by His name. Uh, then Jesus says, uh, you shall worship Him, and Him only shall you serve. Now, if anybody properly interprets Scripture, I'd say it's Jesus. And He interpreted the word fear as worship. Fear ultimately means to have a respect for, reverence for, an awe. You're in awe of Him, and we are. But that awe should produce a grateful worship, not afraid. You're not afraid of Him. So many times angels would appear to people in Scripture, and they'd say, fear not, fear not. God says to you, fear not. I, I want you, one of my goals for this particular series and this message would be that you never again are afraid of God. Never again are you afraid of God. That means you're not afraid of losing your salvation. You can't lose it. It was a free gift that He gave to you. He gave you this free gift. He can't take it back. He doesn't want to take it back. He wants you to have it. He wants it to produce all of the benefits that He gave it to you to have. You don't have to be scared of God ever, ever, ever. Fear God, but don't be afraid of Him. And I wanted, to, I wanted to end on the idea of being afraid of God after building up all of that just to show you, you have to interpret Scripture in light of Jesus, in light of what He says, what He does, what He did, what He accomplished, and what He shows us about God. He is the exact representation of the invisible God. If God be seemingly behaved differently under the Old Covenant, why? And you know, if you see something about God under the Old Covenant, which is even part of the life of Jesus until He resurrected, then even, even God and how He treats people and behaves toward mankind has to make sense in light of Jesus. Now, God didn't change, but the cross put God in a different position toward mankind. God didn't change, but the covenant did. God didn't change, but man did. 
essentially because of what Jesus did, man who receives him. And even the unbelievers, Jesus is that atoning sacrifice. It doesn't make, it, give, it makes them forgiven. God's not even, you know, we're, we're commissioned to go into the world and tell people God's not holding your sin against you. That doesn't mean you're righteous. You, you know, God's not, God has judged Jesus on your behalf. So therefore I have removed those things that are against you to, from me. Now the path is clear. Come to me through Jesus. Allow me to cleanse you give you this position of righteousness, place my spirit within you, seal you with my Holy Spirit, seal you with my grace and love you as you love others for the rest of your life until I return or until you move on. It's a beautiful thing. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. Amen. You don't ever, ever, ever have to be afraid of God. I just do, I do kind of want to look on here and say hello because some of you watch all the time, and it's not cooperating. So anyway, maybe we'll make that a part of what we do. But, you know, just to close, man, it's challenging. You know, this gospel, we have an, up, we have an uphill battle in some areas. So, you know, I'm thinking about Josh, what he shared yesterday. He shared a story in mission of, from his missions in Nepal. And he's preaching the gospel, just telling them about Jesus in this one area. And, and this, the response of this person who'd never heard about Jesus said, well, if that's true, if, that, if that's true, after basically just sharing the gospel as simply as possible, this person said, if that's true, then everyone would become a Christian. And it's like, it's true. If people could just hear the good, if we could take away all of these structures and systems that we've built on top of it all of these battles that we wage because of circumstantial theology and just present Jesus, present the heart of God as evidenced in Jesus to people. Unless they just don't want him, people can't, they, you, they just say yes to him. May his church, may we reflect who Jesus really is. So as you build your beliefs and as we continue through this series, this is what we'll do based on all this, a lot of those points. And I would like to give you a little bit of homework. I would like to give you the assignment to uh, create some points, maybe even a list of scriptures that are your go-to points that help you interpret other areas. So like if you're reading the Bible and you come across something that's confusing and it doesn't make sense, you can turn to this list that says, all right, I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this. And in light of all of these things, how should I see this? Because it's a whole work and it all should make sense in light of itself. And there's not going to be one that you lift out and use to, oh, now you see, I got this one, God's mad at me, I'm done for. You're not going to find one in there that contradicts all these other things. You know, I want you to be extremely confident in the gospel so that you're bold to tell it to others. We have to have confidence that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We have to have confidence that Jesus wants us to preach the good news. We have to have confidence in what that good news is and what we can legally believe for in light of what he's done. We must be confident in that. Otherwise, we're not going to tell other people about it. Because we're going to question and wonder and worry and all this stuff, and it's not really doing much for us, so therefore I'm definitely not telling them about it. 
I don't even know what, I don't even know they're going to poke holes in what I believe because I don't even know what I believe. We need a strong, equipped body and equipped in the love of God and in what the gospel really is. So that is my commitment to you. You know, if you value this ministry, if you value what we bring, I, I would ask you to participate, collaborate with us, pray for us, get involved in these groups, share these messages out, you know, uh, share our emails that we send out, give financially, whatever, you, whatever it looks like for you. That is our commitment to you is to bring you the gospel and make it as clear as possible so that it sticks in your mind and in your heart and you walk away and you're equipped and you're ready to say to somebody, you don't have to be afraid of God. And let me tell you why. Jesus is God. And when he's quoted scripture about fearing God, he said, worship. Because God loves you, your response should be worship gratefulness or grateful worship rather than I'm afraid of what he's going to do. I don't have to be afraid of God because he died for me because he sent Jesus. He loves me. You don't have to be afraid. You know, even if it's just as simple as that, you can say those kinds of things because that is a seed of truth that the Holy Spirit can work with. So I pray that one sticks for you. And there's going to be several more as we continue in this series. As you read the book, I pray some nuggets jump out and stick for you for the purpose of you communicating the gospel. Uh, and then in these Wednesday night discussions and then the rest of this series. Thank you so much for joining us. I pray you get involved. I pray you connect with us. I pray you support as God leads. And let me pray for you, Father. I thank you for those watching and listening. I speak life and health over them. God, I thank you that the eyes, that the, that, that the eyes of our understanding are enlightened, that we may see you clearly, that we interpret everything through the finished work of Jesus, and your spirit is helping us to know you and the power of your resurrection. We want to represent you accurately and well, and we want to present the good news to the world around us, and we thank you for opportunities and wisdom in doing so. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All righty, love you guys. See you soon.